everybody wants to be a part of the culture until it's time to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive. So we're having the uncomfortable conversations needed to spark the change right here, right now. We're your hosts, Ty Devereaux Lawson. And I'm Simeon Coker. And we say all the things you wouldn't. Welcome back to the Mixed Company Podcast. One. All right, guys. Welcome back to Mixed Company Podcast. We've got another episode with an intense but really important conversation. Simeon, how are you doing? Uh, I'm running ragged. Uh, It feels like we're in retrograde, but we're not. I'm just trying to figure out life right now. (laughs) Every day is like its own full 30 days, Uh, it feels like. Um, But that means that today we get to spend 30 days or at least a piece of our day with Pat Gordon, the boss, KGTB. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, Simeon and I actually met Kat Gordon back in 2017. So it's been quite a bit of time now. Um, Kat, you've been on the show before, but you're here today to talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the marketplace and a little bit about you. How are you doing and how have you been? Oh, I'm so glad to be back and to see you both. Um, I've been okay. It's, you know, I, I think probably like everyone else that's listening, it's been a time of, of upheaval for me personally. I went through a divorce after being with my ex-husband for 30 years. So that was like an enormous upheaval in my life. And it hit right as I was experiencing empty nest for the first time. And then my father entering hospice. And so I feel like all the lifetime movies are rolled into one for me lately. <laughs> I just don't understand why Netflix hasn't started to knock on the doors of the people that I know. There's content all over here. All of the stories, love, loss, rags, riches, you got, you name it. We got it. We could talk about it. Also, this industry just plays out like Dynasty, so it's so proper. <laughs> well, as the resident, as the resident co-host named after a, a, a Dynasty character, shout out to Dominique Devereaux. I accept that. I welcome that. I welcome the drama. Kat, your bio calls you a triple threat, but before we started, you you automatically acknowledge you are actually a quadruple threat at this point as an entrepreneur and ad woman marketing expert. It says marketing uh, marketing to women expert, but I would actually just call you a marketing expert um, who also is the co-founder of the 3% Conference. But you've been doing some really new stuff these days that keeps me entertained, motivated, and inspired. So tell us what what is that fourth threat? And I, and I say I use threat positively and also as a weapon, I feel like people should watch out. But tell us about what you've been doing these days, aside from all of the cool things that make you Cat Gordon the Great. Oh, well, um, I had to let go of certain things to take on other things, which I want to normalize for anyone listening. You can't do all the things at once. So 3% Conference, which I founded in 2012, had, you know, run it. I don't want to say run its course, but it had been around for 10 years. We had 29 events. We saw an dramatic uptick in women serving and creative leadership and kind of intersectional gains. Um, but COVID really made it challenging to continue on that route. So I um, 
started serving in this role called the Creative Entrepreneur in Residence, which was a job description I wrote about a job I thought every creative company needed, which was someone that's inside that has an eye towards belonging and inclusion um, and also creative kind of future, like um, corporate social responsibility and purpose branding. And I served in that role at Eleven, which is an ad agency in San Francisco, for eight months during the pandemic, which was kind of surreal because it was back to office, but only one day a week and with kind of a you know smaller group of the staff. But I realized that my creative entrepreneur in residence was more like how I was operating as a brain in the world. And I was noticing things and I was writing a Substack newsletter about the, these topics. And so that's what I'm doing. I am um, I also, by the way, I'm getting my coaching certification. So that I hope we can talk to All right. about as well. So yeah, I'm just kind of like, I, I'm centering more in the brainy part of my creative noticing and less in the executing and large events. Which I think is important, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic, you know, Simeon, you and I have been discussing just like what that pivot has looked like even for us, which, you know, when we started the podcast, Kat, as you remember, we were speaking um, from the perspective of people who who had no power within the agency structure and were, were experiencing just agency life through the lens of A, people of color, be people at the very bottom of the hierarchy space. Um, and over the course of the years, you know, our careers blossomed where we now sit in different positions and therefore also needed to change our perspective and not completely change the perspective, but recognize that, you know, for us, who we're speaking to, what we're talking about is going to look completely different because Simeon, as you say, we 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 know all the things now. We know where the bones are buried. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. One thing that stood out to me uh, when, you, when you when you were talking, Kat, is you know there's there's a rising conversation about machines and and AI within this space, and I feel like what you're talking about um, is is giving life to what I've been telling people, but you've said it much more uh, better. Is being a strategist because ultimately when you're talking about AI, like you still need somebody to put the prompts in, right? And I feel like what you're what you're talking about is a pivot that a lot of creators can go into because they're they're trying to figure out where they fit into a world with AI and what you're talking about like a machine will never be able to do a machine will never be able to uh, be the empath that has like the future vision for what is needed within an agency and so yeah I I really I'm gravity I'm picking up what you're putting down because I feel like that is that is going to give some creative some insight into how they should be thinking about their careers and what they should be spotlighting as far as uh, their accomplishments. Oh, thank you for that. And, you know, I just saw this funny uh, meme the other day that said something like, um, AI will only be successful with our clients if the clients can tell it exactly what it, they want. And then it says, we're safe creatives, you know? And I think there's some truth to that. Like we don't just like make things at a factory, at a widget factory. Like we sit in conversation with people who run businesses and there's intelligence and trust and relationship building that goes into every idea and, and campaign. So it's not like you can just algorithm that. So- yeah, I think we are safe. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely. So Kat, if you remember, we do our dope shit and our ancient segment of the show where we start to talk about all of the current events uh, that are happening, those that piss us the fuck off and the rest that actually we give our applause to. 
I'm going to kick it off. I actually have a dope shit and an ain't shit today. The dope shit is actually a nod to you, Kat. And so I know you've pivoted. I know that the 3% conference has actually expanded into how you are bringing it more intimately to, to women in the industry who are, you know, looking to, to, to charter their own path. But we've come a long way since 3% because recently Wonderman Thompson has appointed Rosie Bardellis as creative leader in New York. And so back when, you know, we constantly saw one after another, man after man after man getting these roles, I've seen a lot of women or a handful of women in the past few months being appointed to these roles. Shannon Washington recently with RGA um, as their uh, chief creative officer. Now we've got Rosie over at Wonderman Thompson, New York. How do you feel about that? Like, do, do, do you light up when you start to see headlines with more women uh, uh, achieving creative leadership roles in the industry? Absolutely. And I also saw Liz Taylor won the most, trying to remember, you know, creative leader, global creative leader, bar none, like men and women, first time a woman was in the number one slot. Yeah, I absolutely do. And it's weird. I hope this doesn't sound um, arrogant or kind of um, like I have some kind of, as we say here, talk your shit, Kat. All right. Um, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. It's the power of suggestion. Just like each of you talked about how your seat of power has changed. There was never, ever, ever a shortage of people to serve in these roles that weren't the white dudes. It was just this bizarre power play and these myths about who leads and and what they should look like. So yeah, every single time I see it, I'm like, yep, let's get 10 more. Like it's just, let's catch up, fully catch up. So yeah, it's great. And it's also kind of a validation of, how the world should have always looked and shockingly didn't and embarrassingly didn't. I think, I think, and this kind of pivots into my ancient, but I think that, you know, what has been done with specifically within the United States, even though I know that it impacts other places, but over the last, let's say 15 years in terms of reversing um, those patterns that you're talking about of, male cisgender dominated white empowerment within our structures it's created this backlash so i would even go as far as to say you were 100 percent right this totally could happen and it's pissed the people off cat because now in florida which officially is its own country as far as i am (laughs) consider the naacp has gone ahead and they have had to let people know before you buy your because every ticket is $500 these days, every flight is $500 these days. Before you buy your $500 flight to Florida, please know that Florida is actively hostile to minorities and issues a whole travel warning. Okay, yeah, that's significant in the United States because when we think of travel warnings as United States citizens, and this is going to sound this is going to sound as shitty as it is, but you think of You think of travel warnings, you think of places where you might catch a disease from the air. You think of places where food is scarce. You think of places where guerrilla warfare is rampant in the streets. In the United States of the America, in Beyonce's 2023, the NAACP has had to put a formalized travel advisory warning people, you might get got if you cross that uh what is it the georgia florida line florida georgia line state line of all of the places and i think 
I think the the reason for me why this is so such an ancient isn't just because it is, right? And I think a lot of us have known this about a lot of states. We've experienced um, that hostility in places that we've gone, whether it was this year or before. But the response to it from the governor of Florida, of Florida I think Anna Navarro calls him um, Ron DeSatan. But DeSantis's spokesperson actually responded to this by saying that this is just a stunt. And if you want to waste your time paying attention to a stunt, that's your business. We don't have time for that. As far as I'm concerned, anybody that has time to pick fights with Mickey Mouse, like, let's be real. Okay, there's an entire, there's an entire beef happening between the state of Florida and uh, 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 the Vatican City of Florida, that is Walt Disney World, um, on, on laws. And so they're beefing with the Disney World, the child wonderment of the entire universe, and calling um, I think the truth that's being spoken from the NAACP, the stunt, for me, the, it's the gaslighting for me. Yeah. It is the complete erasure of history for me. It is the complete disacknowledgement or unacknowledgement of everybody that has ever studied, gone to school, read a book, read a, a Twitter headline, like, stop calling people stupid. The thing is the thing. The NAACP is calling the thing the thing. Um and for that, Florida for me is just Oof. shit. Yep. <laughs> that's that's a valid one. I feel like we're we've taken like 10 steps back. Well, 10 steps forward and like 50 steps back, because that announcement felt like the 1960s. Like, don't drive to the South as a as a black person, like a sun downtown. Well, I as guess a it's black person, a as a woman, as yeah. as a person who identifies LGBTQIA plus just as a person who wants to be welcoming as a, if you don't have a bone of bigotry in your body, you can't come here. That's how I read it. <laughs> it's, it's a sundown state, which is crazy mm -hmm. like in 2023 for everyone. This is why we live on the coast, right, Kat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I wonder though, um, you said it's ancient. Yeah, it's ancient, but I like the, uh, I like the issuing of that announcement. It is, mm -hmm. it is um, when you talk about gaslighting, it is that truth bomb against gaslighting. And that's how you beat a bully is you just refuse to back down. And, mm -hmm. and if Florida loses the business and the travel and the, you know, the residency of people that belong to these communities that feel targeted, that'll hurt. And yeah. it should hurt. They should feel like, the third world country they're making themselves into. So yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and, and then there's other things you read about like the transgender girl who was forced, she can't go to her um her graduation unless she dresses yep. as the gen. I mean, like you read that and you just think, how well, did you get here? People being investigated, formally investigated for showing Toy Story in class. Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's 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 a lot. But I and although it does frustrate mm -hmm. me and Simi, and you know this, and I just did a talk in Minneapolis uh, uh, about a month ago about this. The thing about all of what we're seeing that is striking such a nerve is because what we've been doing was working. 
when no one was paying attention to the advocacy that we were all doing, they didn't care about using diversity and inclusion in, 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 their, in their wording and language. They didn't care about activism. They didn't care about Toy Story and Disney World. It wasn't until other people started to acknowledge and agree and 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 be better educated about the world around us and how for the most part, if you mind your business and let people be themselves, you can be great too. Mm. Until they they had an awareness that like the old way wasn't working, this is now going to be their enemy number one. And they and they label it wokeness. Um, but the the thing about being awake and like, you know, shout out to the to the five percenters back in the 90s who kind of brought this to life, but like the whole idea of being woke is once you wake up once you know the thing you can't put the thing back you can't regain in uh, um, ignorance you have to grow a new generation of ignorance and that's what they're doing so you wow. know some there is a light in there but for now you got to cuss people out because this is just wrong you're 100 percent right and i'm i'm remembering liz gilbert the author uh a year or two ago, she recorded a podcast I listened to where she talked about how this one male, he probably wasn't even a reader of her books, but somehow, you know, squatted on her web, her website or her blog and just was losing his mind <laughs> um, in the comments. And it was threatening and it was scary and it was, you know, venomous. But then she had this moment of complete calm settle over her and she realized, her mother, her grandmother, they didn't have blogs and audiences and a point of view and a voice. And the fact that this guy was losing his mind that Liz Gilbert could have a point of view and a, and a distribution platform to reach millions of other people was in a way evidence that it was working. So I think that's kind of, Kai, what you just said. A hundred percent. So what about you guys? Anything cool happening in, in current events or, or ain't shit for that matter? I just have a quick ain't shit. It's it's for Elon Musk because uh, last week he went on CNBC to discuss why working from home is a moral issue to him. And I just feel like words mean things and moral issue is not one of one that I would apply to working from home, especially what we're three years into the pandemic. And we've seen all the benefits of working from home. Uh, the work is still getting done. The work got done for a whole year and still being done. So for him to still be on this uh, this high horse of trying to force people back into the office is wild and crazy to me because look at us here. We're all on Zoom making this happen in a virtual world. So that's my quick game shit. I just wish he would stop. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. thing about it, I don't know if you guys saw his rationale. He was saying that it's not fair for for those of us that work from home, because what about the people in the factories? And I was like, okay, well, if we're going to apples to apples this, does this mean that you believe everyone should also receive a private jet? Or what about pay equity at this point, right? Because you're right. If one has all shit, like if we're going to go Marxist, let's go Marxist. Everybody should have a private jet. Everybody should be able to just roll up and buy whatever they want at whatever share of the company they want. Everybody should be able to do exactly what you do as the leader as well. But he won't talk about that point because, again, once you take the light out of the box, you can't put it back in. People know better now. Mm, Totally. You know, I feel like my ain't shit. I am so tired 
of being of gun violence being tolerated because we don't want to um, upset the gun zealots and extremists. It's like, you know, who you don't want to upset mothers and Mm. stop shooting our kids. Like there is so much maternal and I don't want to leave dads out of this, but maternal, you grew that baby or adopted that baby. Like it's your kid and they're getting shot. I mean, Mm. my son, his fraternity brother's best friend was shot at Michigan state and killed. And like, that was too close for comfort. It already was too close for comfort, but like you know, this is the sleeping giant that you have ignited is mothers. Like stop shooting our children. And that is reaching a boiling point. And I just, I think like, be afraid of us because we're, we're losing our minds that you're doing this to, to children that are going to school or church or the mall. I mean, it's crazy. There's nowhere that there's nowhere that's safe. And we've seen that I mean, we've seen that in, in in disenfranchised communities forever. We're seeing it be the, the fact that it's actually happening more, but being covered less in, in wealthier areas even now is going is going to show a lot of the systems are covering it up. And I think, Kat, to your point, what I hope to see in the next midterm elections that come up are more mothers that start to get into these political spaces, because I think that you're right, that 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 mother bear, that protector, that fierce, fierce protector. I think Jennifer Lopez movie, Jennifer Lopez's movie Mother is coming out. And I think she might be fighting bears and stuff in that. But like, I think that that is important um, for this next topic because they're, they're really trying to gloss over it. Like, like, like babies go to kindergarten and may not come home. That is a wild thing to consider in the 2023. And you know, when you, when I was logging onto Netflix the other night, I had to go through that silly step where it's like, who's watching Catherine? Is it an adult or a child? And I was like, oh gosh, that seems so quaint that Netflix cares that my, that a child might see a rated R movie when children are now learning live shooter drills at school and they can work at McDonald's till midnight because of the lax child labor laws. Like, Oh my gosh, like it's crazy what we're exposing our children to in terms of trauma. Mm. I just, that just boils my blood. Absolutely. There is a lot of trauma. And I think that that's actually a really interesting transition into how we got here. So Kat, you actually wrote this amazing post that came to me um, the other day in my inbox about the rise of the introvert. And the title itself is what captured me because a lot of people are always shocked, sometimes appalled, when I tell them that I identify as an introvert. And we'll get into the masking of it. But I identify as an introvert. So, I mean, I think that's kind of how we ended up becoming friends really? is through introversion and, and <laughs> only being able to support each other so that we could survive as long as we did. And being dinged for being introverts in that environment. That's exactly what happened. And so, Kat, you published your, you, 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 you talked about, um, you actually wrote about how in a recent podcast interview, you, you had a conversation about introverts and empaths being the rise as the next creative leaders. I don't want to give away your article, so I'm not going to, because I really do want people to subscribe, read, discuss, et cetera. But I'd love to get your thoughts, especially as you've worked on the inside of the agencies, of, of agencies, 
you've you you work as a consultant, you've worked in freelance, you've put together uh, the three percent conference. Um, you've seen it from all different angles. So what is it that that kind of motivated you or inspired you to to realize, you know what? All of these extroverts out here fronting, they're not in anymore. It's the inter- it's the introverts time. what what kind of sparked that for you? Yeah. Well, my gosh, it's so many like interconnected jigsaw puzzle pieces to answer that. But largely coming from the creative world, the best creative work thinking teamwork happens when people are not um, covering or code switching or any in any way camouflaging who they are when they're in a complete mode of psychological safety where they can say anything, be anything, they feel you know, totally safe with the people that they're creating with, because it's a team sport creativity. And yet I look at most ad agencies and they're more structured like dysfunctional families where everyone is vying for the attention of the creative leader. They're lining up outside his office. It's usually a a him. And there's this scarcity mentality about like, who's the favorite and who's going to get the best briefs and, you know, and it just, none of it, none of it is the aura and the and the real true environment in which great great creative thinking happens and so i started to think about how more introverted and empathic people and i would also put myself in that in that group they're super noticers they're people that move about the world and they're just incredibly tuned to details around them to people to moods and as a result Um, It's very tiring being an introvert because you're using up, it's stimulating. Um, However, the beauty and the gift of it is that you are paying very deep attention to things that matter to psychological safety. And so if we've got 90% of the leaders in the ad world being extroverts, people that are the loudest people, and I'm not, I have nothing against extroverts. We just are not in in balance in terms of we have we over index on extroverts and we need to bring that back to balance we need people leading that i think one of the best markers for creative leaders is how safe does your team feel in your presence Mm -hmm. because that is going to translate to them creating beautiful incredible groundbreaking work and so i just started to see that no one was really understanding that introverts who are seen as shy and quiet and not in the limelight and sometimes they do self-select that because again, it is so overstimulating, but that leadership does not equal extroversion. And we have prized that for so long that people assume that that swagger and confidence and like largest presence in the room is leadership. No, it's one form of showing up in the world. And I actually believe that as our, our world is so broken, there are so many things that need to be reimagined in the next 50 years, the super noticers are gonna be the fixers. And the people that can hold space for other people and keep their nervous system regulated, they're going to be the super healers and the super idea makers. And so every time I've mentioned this idea, I am so touched by the people that often message me privately and say, I can't even believe what you just said. It's almost like I'm inviting people that have self-selected out of leadership that they're actually the exact thing that's needed right now. And it might be a little uncomfortable to step into the spotlight. It was always uncomfortable for me at 3%. I got better at it. But um, but I also think that people that have gifts for the world, they 
there is a price of admission of having to, you know, be a little bit more in the spotlight than you wish, but that doesn't mean you have to emulate the way the current leaders look or conduct themselves because, you know, if someone's not talking, that doesn't mean they're not thinking. And conversely, when someone's always talking, I would argue that maybe they're not thinking enough. And so we need to prize these silences and these people that are um, observant, highly observant. Uh, So that was kind of the genesis of my thinking around that. And it seems to have really struck a chord. It did. Oh. Yeah. I think for me, just when I was reading it, um, I felt like that was the, what you were describing was a superpower that I was leaning into, but couldn't articulate, you know, you're interviewing and they're like, well, why do you think you'd be such and such and such? And I know how I lead teams is the way that you describe where people feel safe enough to say the crazy thing, to say the thing that quote unquote may be stupid. uh, But knowing that my job is to not make them feel that way and to nurture them into a place where you can actually get the good ideas. Um, And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are resonating with, which is they know what they do, but they haven't been able to articulate it because that isn't these soft skills are not the things that they tell you to lean into when you're in college, right? They tell you executive presence is mm-hmm. being the boisterous um, leader in the room and being able to fill the silence. Uh, but I think to your point that you're able, when you're comfortable with the silence, and I think in a way comfortable with yourself, then you're able to lead the room in a way that's a lot more impactful and feel more safely. Mm. You 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 gave us a word that I I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna add it to my LinkedIn, but that concept of being a super noticer. Because I think for me, that's always been like my thing is like I can zero in on for me what seems to be the most obvious. But what I've learned over time is it's always the thing that most people overlook. You're shaking your head, Simeon. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's like we I think this is the 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 root of both of our frustration is that we mm-hmm. see they're like what. Why doesn't anybody why else? Why doesn't everybody see this? <laughs> why isn't anybody paying attention? But you're right. Like there hasn't been language for that. And I think, you know, Simeon, you brought up the concept of like the, the executive presence and what we've been taught in school. And, you know, I went to a historically black college, shout out to Howard University. I remember in my orientation class, the way we were um, a, a, a taught to posture ourselves is exactly as you're, as you're saying, Kat, is so, like the hubris has to be there. You have to be big. If, if Even if you're small, you have to come across big. And I found, you know, for much of the earlier part of my career, trying to do that instead of leaning into the super noticing skill or the superpower of super noticing and mm-hmm. saying those things out loud, you know, that was what hurt me earlier on. I tell people all the time, my first few years in the industry, I heard people or read things and came across people saying like I was a a ditz, (laughs) like aloof, that I was not smart, that I like, you know, and and those things hurt because I'm like, I know that I got it. But you take, you play so much time trying to like make this personality so much so that I actually felt to your point that like leadership equaled extroversion. The only way to get noticed in a meeting was by, is by being the loudest. And I'm not going to say was yet, 
But even currently, most people have to be the loudest. They have to be the funniest. They have to show some kind of personality that you have to perform to to even be considered for leadership roles. And I think, you know, in, in this space, in this state of our industry where, you know, it's not like last year where anybody could choose whatever job they wanted. Jobs are hard to come by right now. Layoffs are happening across every industry right now. And so this concept of like, you know, how do I position myself to be the most successful? We're putting, pushing people in spaces where they're constantly uncomfortable with themselves. But also to your point, the expectation is, well, you know, if you're loud, you've got to be a great leader. So we're going to promote you. And then we get all these people promoted who do get promoted into spaces where they don't notice when someone's struggling because they're so busy trying to be the star of the show where they don't recognize, I think you had in your article, where they don't read the room or the Zoom. So yeah. leave the meeting and everybody's like, well, how'd you think it go? It went, it, it went great. And the super noticers are like, I don't know. They were, they were sleeping the whole time. Did you not see that their eyes were closed? I don't think they were paying attention, you know? And so yeah. I, that is what I see. And like that, that is one of my biggest frustrations in the industry is that it's not enough people trying to like understand the world around them, but rather trying to get everybody to understand what they are about and what they bring to the table. Um, and I'm I'm waiting for this world that 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 you're describing, Kat, where those of us who do like to sit in, in silence, who do like to think two minutes extra or two minutes longer than others about something, because maybe if we give ourselves a break, we'll get to a better answer. Maybe if I keep my mouth shut for 30 more seconds, somebody else will say something that'll help all of us get to the next point. Um, but it's taking so long. Yeah, <laughs> it's taking yeah. so long to get there. No, I hear you. And I, I remember um, shortly after lockdown hit, can't remember who I was giving an interview to, but they were like, who are you watching that you think is handling the pandemic appropriately? And there was this kind of like super pointed question about like, who's the one to watch right now? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, you know what? Not enough time has gone by for us to be singling out people. I said, I'm interested in what the longer synthesizers are thinking right now, the super noticers. Like they're not speaking right away. There is so much to digest right now about the changes of remote work and the pandemic. And uh, like you said, you know, we're living in a state where there's so much trauma and violence. And, and so people that are the super noticers are going to start to see bigger patterns and bigger also promise. Like they're going to see a different way. And so that, that I think also we prize that like rush to be first, you know, like well, who's going to issue the first statement or get it right. It's like, I'm way, way, way more interested in the people that are still thinking right now than talking. Yeah. And I think that goes to the scarcity mindset that you were talking about in earlier, where it's like, if whoever says the, the idea first is the one who gets to work on the project. But I think one of the interesting things too, I think was super noticing is that when you're listening to a lot of extroverts talk, you will realize that they're not really saying a lot. <laughs> like it's, and and that's to your point, Kyle, like the meeting ends and everyone's kind of like, well, what, what just happened? What are, so what are we doing? What are the next steps? <laughs> what's the answer? It's, it's because people were just talking without taking a minute to to pause. And I think there's something that should be 
explored around why people are so uncomfortable with, with silence in a meeting and giving people an opportunity to just sit and think about what just happened before spitting out a suggestion or an answer or or their thoughts because i think that is where things are getting lost like it's it's getting lost and in the in the process of things getting lost people are feeling like they can't be who they are if they are more introverted in these spaces because they see the extroverts being rewarded just for speaking not necessarily speaking with with impact mm. And I have I I, I want to get to the next question, but Kat, you said something that was, I don't know. This topic is probably going to be the thing that pushes me even to the next level because you 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 mentioned you mentioned something that reminds me of it, um, in the earlier part of the pandemic. Everybody was like, "Well, who's doing it right?" And I was getting those questions too, and I was like, "Doing what? We're we're we're." we're battling death right now. I actually haven't had time to look to see what everybody was doing, but I actually do feel now that you say that, that that has a lot to do with why so many businesses are trying to go back to the way things were, or a lot of people even call it like, well, we need to find a happy medium. And it's like a happy medium to what? What is the medium? What was it about the way things were that worked so well for you outside of the performance of it, right? Because that's that's what it was. I don't think we've given ourselves enough time to your to your point to actually recognize like what are the benefits? The first benefit was most of the companies made the most money they made when everybody was working fully remote, as a lot of companies are struggling right now. Productivity was higher for two reasons. A, once you're home, you start you sort of lose track of time and people were working 14, 15 hour days without work without recognizing it. And that did create its own challenges, but let the thing be the thing. People worked more. The in addition to that, the reason why you're able to get lost in, in the work and work so much longer is because dinner's already on the table. The kids been picked up from school. I've already said hi to my husband twice today, so I don't really need to talk to him again and I can go lock myself in the room. Those are things that people aren't, aren't understanding. That safety of being home, of not worrying, how am I getting to work? Well, like, you know, am I am I avoiding a car accident? Am I avoiding a train wreck? Am I avoiding New York City subway? Because that is not the best place to be any time of the century. You know, like those are things people didn't necessarily have to worry about and so it removed a lot of stress, even though, you know, we took on stress in other ways, but it removed that. And I don't think people consider that like that silo time, while it may hurt a lot of extroverts, to your point, Kat, it did create a space where those of us who really needed that time alone, that time not to prep, or like I called it, my 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 30 minute meditation on the train of like transitioning from at home Kai to at work Kai where I could actually just kind of like be Kai because I'm in my house, that I think really changed a lot for the better. Minus the COVID, the being at home thing, I think changed things for the better. My question for you, because you actually brought up a good point um, in the conversation, which I think happened after the interview that you did. You saw a tweet from It's Dana White. Uh, where Dana says, Black people don't get to be introverts without serious challenges professionally and socially. And that was the part that made me, I had to walk away for a second from the screen because I've never felt so seen in a tweet about my career ever. Mm. Because I was actually 
Like that took me back to kindergarten. I got in trouble for only having two friends in elementary school. My parents were literally called to the school and I went to a Catholic school. I was the only black child in the class because the teachers were concerned that I wasn't socializing enough. (laughs) Grades were fine. Um, you know, developing as one should expect to be to to develop, but I only had two friends and that was, that was cause for concern. I remember, um, in, uh, you know, the earlier part of my career again, even, even recently, even maybe three, four years ago where it's like, you know, if, if you're not speaking, I'm, I'm thinking that you're thinking something bad about me. And it's like, I'm not even worried about you. Like what? Why do I have to be worried about you? And so that hit because, again, I see so many colleagues, you're quiet. You don't respond to feedback with, I think people call it urgency. So you're not freaking out because you got negative feedback. You take it and it's like, all right, I'll fix it. That's it. That's all. And so like that, that kind of hit me. I don't know how it hit you, Sim, but it like it just brought up so many different flashes about life. It did. It actually brought me back to a tweet that I wrote uh, six years ago, um, and I'll just read it. So after living in this Black body for 33 years and talking to other Black men about our careers, I've come to the conclusion that way too many white people don't know how to work with us unless we act like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And that came from uh, when you and I worked together, Kai, the feedback was, oh, I just wish you were more gregarious. I wish you would like bounce around the office and like stop at people's desk and like talk to them a little bit. And what I said to her, I was like, well, nobody bounces by my desk. So like, this doesn't feel like the, like a safe environment for me to just like walk up to somebody's desk who is kind of a stranger and just start a conversation. And I feel like that, when I read that tweet, it just brought me back to like all of those moments where I was like, okay, so I'm in this environment because I'm a super noticer, I'm assessing this this environment and my safety, my emotional safety and my energy and coming to the conclusion that I think it's probably better if I like do the work and not worry about the politics of this place. And I think a lot of people are in that sort of balance, uh, especially people of color, of like trying to figure out how to navigate the social politics of where they work. Um, and also manage their their energy in a way that doesn't compromise their emotional and mental health. Now, what was it about that tweet that stopped you in your tracks? Um, it 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 made sense to me. I mean, this sounds so clinical, but it was like laying a slide over another slide with new information. And I was like, that makes sense to me because everything about intersectional, you know, workplace issues or life issues is about your various forms of who you are and where they're allowed and which spaces honor them and not. And all of a sudden, you know, I used the term in that um, interview, dispositional diversity, that we have a lack of dispositional diversity. We have way more extroverts. But yes, if you then belong to another group that hasn't been the status quo in that space, let's say you're a Black leader, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I look different than historically leaders have been prized here. And now I also have a natural way of leading that isn't prized. And so it made me sad. And there were a lot, I mean, obviously a lot of other people responded to that tweet because the uh, comments beneath it were so heartbreaking, but I was grateful to have seen it because I was like, this is not just a one, you know, one level conversation about like introverts should lead. It's like, 
who it's almost like being able to be an introverted leader is a luxury. Mm. And so can black leaders afford that luxury? Can they be seen as a leader in a black body and as a leader in their natural introverted state? And, you know, obviously my hope and answer would be, yes, they should be able to be all the things that they are. But until we talk openly about it, it's like, wow. So are we, when we encounter someone that's more introverted, are we reading into their silences? Are we wondering why they're not making everyone around them comfortable by being more confident and gregarious? And if so, that's our work to do. It's to say, wow, I am really bringing a lot of judgment to how this person is showing up. And they're just trying to do their job. I mean, I just feel so much, um, I feel so much sadness for the fact that so many of us have to work so hard just to be who we are. And that's even before we do the work. And so obviously my jam with 3% is all about diversity equals creativity equals profitability. The more diverse our, our workplaces are, the better the creative product, the more profitable everyone, you know, benefits. But this is, there's so many layers within that, so many layers of identity, so many layers of um, assumptions bias, judgments. And so this is a conversation that just keeps giving. I mean, in a way, I love it because I love being part of the conversation, but I hate that it keeps revealing how many people are being harmed. It's true. There was a, there was a conversation um, that a lot of, a lot that was happening within the Black creative, Black professional community about the need and cat we've actually even talked about this like this going back to the soft life this going back to like leaning into a mediocrity that that a black black excellence hasn't uh, uh afforded to a lot of people before be- just because of what you said that con that constant understanding that everyone has in a place of business in the corporate capitalistic space being extroverted is what equals success is what equals leadership and so that that excellence means that you are big and you you have awards and you've been places and you do things and you wear I'm literally describing us right and you wear the clothes and you have the gold and people know your voice and they see your face when in reality cat to your point like the reason why this is so important to me is because you know what Simeon's saying so many of us just want to save our energy to have 25% of our own worlds to ourselves, to have 25% more time to think a little bit extra about the things that you discussed in that earlier meeting so you had a better answer for tomorrow. But that 25% is being spent on adorning ourselves in this space of extroversion, of standing out, of being big, of using words even you know this i think the podcast even in that what became like a cover for us like as a team of three where we didn't have a voice in the in in our agencies but because we were able to put on this armor this voice of the podcast genuinely and, and shout out to karina the three of us were able to transition our careers because we were seen as bigger than we actually presented in the office space. And so to yeah. your to your commentary about the the world, you know, kind of turning into an industry of introverted leaders, what does that look like for you, Kat? Because for me, that would be a dream. 
to mm-hmm. be in a space where more people were accepting of like good ideas and not the tap dance an idea and then a closing slide with big fireworks at the end what does it look like for you to have an industry of introverted leaders um, man i almost feel like everything i care about would improve um if you look at turnover and burnout and um people feeling alienated from one another and distrust and all the problems that plague, I'll just stick with the advertising industry. I feel like all of those things would improve because people would have, by the way, we're talking about introverts and extroverts, but make no mistake, anyone that has some kind of difference that they are not bringing to work as their full self is watching this and absorbing that there's this status quo kind of like, this is the way it's been done. So we historically just think that's the way it has to be done. But it's such a lack of imagination for an imaginative industry to think, oh, well, then that's the only path. Um, And so I see it as just this enormous unlock of people wanting to work inside agencies, people wanting to work with leaders that, you know, they love being in their presence and they feel treasured instead of tolerated and um, and they see a path forward for leadership. I also, by the way, really think clients will be well-served in this new model because I think back to all my years as a creative director and I was a more introverted Uh, leader, but I was a great listener and I was very good at hearing what a client was responding to. And by the way, you will never sell a campaign, especially a brave campaign, if you have not shown the respect to that client of what their worries are, what their needs are, what their viewpoints are. And I was very good at that in my role was listening. In fact, I remember in my creative review being told I had the highest rate of selling work in at the first you know, pass. And that's because I listened. And so clients that just want to feel like you actually give a shit about their reality, instead of you're trying to win an award or cram a, you know, cram a campaign idea down their throat, they will be happier. And then that starts to also improve the ecosystem, which we're complaining in agencies about all the distrust right now between agencies and clients and the brevity of the engagements and the nickel and diming, and it's just broken. And so if all of a sudden people are showing up and there's a real commitment to um, everyone feeling a sense of safety and belonging and inclusion, and that creating ideas that are so nuanced and so dramatically new that the client is like, wow, this is fresh thinking. And it's not being sold to me as if I'm on a car lot. That starts to me to make our industry, it just, it elevates it from, you know, we're always at the car salesman, like lawyer ambulance chaser level in terms of trust. Why? Why can we not make advertising a force for good, especially as purpose branding is, you know, and corporate citizenship by clients is more and more important. And we start to infuse that into the work. It doesn't that sound like an industry you'd want a young person, you know, to enter. It sounds creative. It sounds inviting. It sounds like there's a lot of variety. It sounds important. It sounds like it can actually impact the world in ways beyond sales. And that's how you get young people to want to work in advertising instead of in tech or other fields that maybe are paying more, shinier, sexier. So I see all upside. Um, I have said 
that a lot of the things I've been talking about on my newsletter um, about not rushing back to old paradigms, I've said that I recognize that what I'm saying is very challenging operationally but that it's extremely exciting creatively. So for all the people that might be listening that are like the COO or the CFO or the people that have to like know where the computers are and all those logistics, like a a quick, huge thank you, because I get that this is really uncomfortable, but this is also a great unlock for our industry. And it's a great opportunity. Like, it's so sad to me that the three of us on this call are all We've all lost something over the years by not being able to be truly who we are in order to feel like we would be of value and each of us with different like identities playing. But I want to change that. And um, I think people are at a point where if the state of Florida isn't a safe place to travel, and I agree it isn't, like all of a sudden you're like, okay, what point will things get so broken where people will be like, let's try something completely different. And I think that's something completely different is letting brand new types of people lead. I agree. Simi, what about you? What do you think? What is what is an industry of an industry that ex- that accepts introverted leadership? What does that look like and feel like for you? I think it's it's normalizing empathy, right? And figuring out what that looks like. And I'm just not to use my not to prop up myself, but I'm just thinking about realizing that certain people on my team are introverts and how or were introverts and how I dealt with them, whether it's pulling them to the side and asking them how they like to work. Um, because if you tell me how you like to work, then I can I can support you in that, right? So that could be calling on you when I realize that you're not speaking or or creating space for you to speak. And then the other thing that came to mind, I was listening to an interview with uh, Amani Duncan the other day, and she made uh, an anecdote that I thought was really interesting where she was also talking about introverts. And the thing that she mentioned was she was interviewing a woman and the woman said to her, uh, allow me 60 seconds to gather my thoughts. And really powerful where she created the space for herself to think. Um, And I think that we can all normalize that, right? Like just being in the meeting and just saying, give me 30 seconds to to gather my thoughts. Um, And I think that's how change happens, right? Like people like us doing the thing and creating space for it, because if we do it, then somebody else is going to do it. And then I would, I would add before we close out, like for me, it actually looks like a more successful industry, like from an operations perspective, Kat, like I know creatively, you know, for those of us that are thinkers, we do need the time. But I think operationally, what I learned coming from the operations side of the business is when you listen to what's truly broken, when -hmm. you listen to where the challenges truly are it allows us time, space, and opportunity to really prioritize what it is that truly needs to be fixed first, as opposed to what needs to be fixed fastest because the loudest people are talking about it, right? And so I think that that actually creates this space for equity and and equilibrium between creativity and operations. The operations leaders that I know, A, they're women, and B, they're always looking to, to, to listen more closely to both the people, the clients, the finance teams, the functions teams, just to make sure that they're getting it right. And what gets in their way are those squeaky wheels that to your, you know, to, to the extroversion credit just need to be heard. 
um, and ne not necessarily need to be triaged. And so I, I just think that we'll do less talking and get to more answers and find more solutions and be more efficient. Um, and for me, those are like wet dreams, like efficiency. Like I just wish the world was a little bit more. That's all I need in my life is efficiency. So with that, Kat, because I know you are a busy lady with a lot of stuff on your plate and you've got things to get back to. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, I, 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 I said it before, I'll say it again. You are a cat Gordon, the boss, KGTB to me. <laughs> I appreciate your pivot, continue to be inspirational. Um, Kat Gordon was one of the, the first three people to put uh, our podcast on and to give us platform. And so we appreciate you when you come to visit us and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is such a great topic. All right. You guys take care. You know where to find us. You know where to see us. We'll holler at you in another episode. Peace.